0: good afternoon and welcome to the gestalt it rundown for wednesday june the 16th 2021 my name is tom hollingsworth and happy national fudge day to all of you confectionaries out there we have a great roundup of stories that are ransomware free for once um, joining me on this great episode is my friend, my cohort, and um, sometimes my enabler, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here, and I hope everybody has a joyful and free Juneteenth. Yes, exactly. Um soon to be a national US holiday, thanks to the US Senate and the the US government. Um, But we have a great lineup of news that we wanna jump right into. So I'm gonna kick us off with uh, some news about one of our favorite companies, Xilinx. Now you may have thought since they got bought by AMD that they were done picking people up, but that's not the case because they're buying Selexica, which is a company that focuses on FPGA tooling to help improve software programmability, which really shouldn't be a surprise to you if you know what Xilinx is all about. Um, the deal terms were not disclosed, but if you look back at the funding rounds that uh, Sellexica has pulled in, they were worth about $28 million. Now, here's where it's kind of funny, because the CEO of Sellexica, one Maximilian Odendahl, uh, famously penned an article last November decrying the purchase of Xilinx by AMD, uh, claiming that when all of the semiconductor industry is consolidating, it's not good for anybody overall. Well, here's some more consolidation for you. Um, Steven, is this acquisition a move to compete more directly with Intel's Altera lineup, or are they looking to just pull away and become the clear leader in FPGAs?
1: Well, I think they already are the clear leader in FPGAs, and frankly, I uh, see this move as a completely logical one. Um, essentially, what Xilinx was doing was, base- was making software that enables people to develop uh, for FPGAs, Uh, makes sense for the FPGA maker to have that software. Now, uh, you mentioned Odendahl's uh, editorial, and that is actually a really important point, because what he said was was pretty accurate, which is essentially that uh, if we are consolidating and consolidating and consolidating, which we are, Uh, it leaves less choice, less variability, less novelty, less startup-ness to the world. And, um, you know, basically, it makes things a lot more boring. And also, frankly, it eliminates the need for people to have proprietary development tools for products. And that's, of course, what Slexka made. So I'm not totally surprised that he was opposed to the acquisition because literally it impacted his company and his market. Uh, That being said, uh, it's a logical acquisition. I imagine that they got purchased for way more than $28 million. Um, And also, it's important uh, to see another angle on this. You mentioned that AMD bought Xilinx. Well, that's not 100% true. AMD is buying Xilinx, as you know, uh, but they haven't announced the close date yet. And as of now, um, we don't give stock tips here, but as of now, Wall Street apparently isn't sure this acquisition is going through. Because Xilinx is still trading about 10% lower than it would as uh, but under the terms of the acquisition, which means that they're kind of giving it a, a, a discount um, in terms of you know assuming that it's not going to you know that it might not go through. I think it will go through. In fact, I think it's going to go through fairly soon. Um, from my perspective, this is not a controversial acquisition. Um, it certainly is not a uh, market dominating one, considering that Intel is the big competitor and Intel has a very competitive product. So I imagine that it's going to go through and um, probably sometime soon. But uh, for now, considering that these deals tend to get hung up in the regulators for a while, um, it's business as usual. When Xilinx saw that one of their uh, software tools was available, they bought it. Sounds good to me. Yeah, so I, I, I don't see there's much of a story here, except, like I said, those kind of meta narratives about industry consolidation and regulatory approval of of big mergers, and uh, the fact that Wall Street isn't 100% sure this thing's going to happen. I should also point out, by the way, that Wall Street is super still not sure that Arm and NVIDIA is going to happen, which is another story that we'll talk about again and again and again. So Tom, uh, if you thought that the pandemic had put a permanent dent in the purchase of enterprise networking hardware, then IDC has some news for you. The analyst firm released a report this week detailing the uh, enterprise wireless hardware sales jumped about 25% year over year for the first quarter of 2021. Uh, The surge was due in part to the ramp up to the Olympics in Japan, but the number also reflects the need for enterprises to offer better connectivity to workers as a way to entice them back into the office. Uh, Tom, are shiny new access points going to be enough to bring people back out of their home offices?
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny that the IDC report kind of said what we knew was going to happen. Although I love the breakdown of the fact that a lot of this gear was being ramped up in Japan and China and in APAC because of the Olympics and some other stuff. But when you look at the number breakdown, like like Cisco gained like forty five percent year over year. Like they were far and away the leader. In the report, I think uh, they were at 45%, and like the next closest competitor was Aruba HPE at like 15%. But that actually kind of belies some of the things that we've been talking about for the last year and a half. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the rundown on the on premise IT roundtable and in a bunch of other places. What happens when the offices open back up? Are people going to want to go back? Are people going to want to return to their comfortable enterprise networks? but maybe they're slower enterprise networks. Because if I've been buying gear for my home office, I'm obviously buying the latest and greatest stuff. Well, what does that mean for the enterprise? And I think what happened is, is a lot of enterprise IT departments looked at it and said, okay, now that everybody's out of the office and we can, not, we can disruptively upgrade things, we need to do that. And with the advent of things like, um, you know, Wi-Fi 6 and soon Wi-Fi 6E, which I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about at Mobility Field Day next month, um, companies are saying, let's jump in while we can, spend the money, and then tell people, hey, we have bigger, better, better access points at the office that you're going to want to come back to and, you know, you know, do high speed stuff, or in a lot of cases, uh, not have a data cap at at home. Um, you know, because it's summertime. So people are chewing up all of their data allocation with uh, day, you know, season-long Netflix benches. So I'm happy to hear that people are buying more equipment. I'm happy to hear that the market is recovering, the question is going to be, is that going to be enough investment to get people to go back into the office? Because you hear the rumblings of some of the other side of it, which is people are just, they don't want to go back. I don't know. I, I would say good fast Wi-Fi would be one of the things that would probably make me want to go back, if nothing else, because I don't have to troubleshoot it when it goes down in the office. At, at home, I'm, I'm kind of the tech guy. So you know maybe that would be enough for me. Right, Steven, let's keep on the chip train by talking a little bit about data processing units. And this is a uh, topic that we've covered a lot in recent months because it's a pretty hot area and many companies are innovating with that CPU offload technology and bringing them to the market with a lot of partnerships. One of the companies that has been doing a lot in this space is Intel. Now, of course, because it's Intel they kind of have their own spin on things. So they don't call them DPUs. They call them infrastructure processing units or IPUs. Now, they use a more liberal definition of what that offload technology actually does. When we think data processing unit, we have a very specific way of thinking about it when it comes to network IO and storage IO. But because Intel's taking a broader look at it, oh, surprise, surprise, they are the number one uh company in the IPU DPU market by units and components shipped surprise surprise Stephen we know that the market is kind of moving around a lot but Intel has always been the 800 pound gorilla in pretty much every market that they're a part of are they still the great ape when it comes to DPUs and IPUs or is this a little bit of manipulation behind the scenes to make them look big even though they're defining the market differently
1: well, uh, Tom, Intel's gonna Intel, you know what I mean? And uh, frankly, uh, it might come as a shock to you, but I'm gonna guess that Intel is probably also the number one producer of GPUs in terms of units shipped. Why? Because they embed a GPU in most of their processors and those ship like crazy. So, uh, you know, uh, there's all sorts of ways that you can spin stuff. And frankly, um, this is a little bit of spin But that being said, uh, Intel's IPUs are... Intel isn't just saying like every network adapter is an IPU. They're saying that uh, basically they're shipping more uh, programmable intelligent networking adapters. And frankly, it's probably true. Um, The competitors in this space uh, tend to be smaller. They tend to be less established or they tend to be like Mellanox slash NVIDIA, higher priced. And so honestly, I think they're probably right about uh, this that they are the number one shipper of uh, DPUs, slash IPUs, slash whatever you're going to call them. Uh, SmartNICs, <laughs> SmartNICs Plus. Uh, they probably are the number one shipper of these things. But that being said, uh, I'm much more interested in uh, who's using these things for practical applications. Uh, you know, how are these things going into production? and uh, what are people doing with them? Uh, Intel currently offers more of a blank slate product line than somebody like a Pensando or even a you know Mellanox, which uh, pretty much is, is, is encouraging you to use this thing for a productive purpose. Uh, that to me is the sign of a, uh, a productive use. Uh, Intel just shipping these things that can be used by people doesn't tell us whether people are actually using them yet or not, or whether they're just building up systems in uh, anticipation that they'll be using these things in the future. But of course, all this is off the table uh, once uh, VMware's Project Monterey starts ramping up, because at that point, essentially, we're going to have software that can take advantage of these things, just like it takes advantage of almost any other chip inside this system, and uh, and they'll be put to productive use. And uh, Intel will be the number one provider. So that being said, um, you know, yeah. They probably are the number one provider and they probably will be the number one provider going forward. And um, frankly, I don't find that at all uh, controversial. That's just how it is. Tom, uh, we're pretty familiar with security player ExtraHop having seen them before in our uh, various channels. Um, They're uh, skipping into private equity ownership now thanks to Bain Capital and CrossPoint. The network detection and response vendor announced last week that it's accepting an offer from partners for ownership totaling $900 million. Uh, NDR is a fast growing segment of the market and the pandemic has only caused it to accelerate as the security threats grow and companies look to augment their ability to respond quickly. The funding from Crosspoint represents their first major investment from the cybersecurity focused fund and gives the high profile investments uh, in other major companies across the market. It looks like Crosspoint was gonna be a big player soon enough. Uh, Tom, is private equity ownership a good news for
0: ExtraHop? Normally, I'm the first person to tell you that private equity is a big trap because they're just going to carve you up and ship you off. But the thing is, is there's nothing to carve up with ExtraHop. They're pretty focused. There's no value to unlock out of this company. So I think this is actually a really good move because when you got the first investment from a brand new cybersecurity-focused fund, and that was just the CrossPoint side, the Bain side of it. This is like, what, the 13th fund that Bain has, has launched, and it's, this is their very first investment out of it, too. That tells me that this is something that they're going to want to buy and hold for a while. And when you the, the article we link in the show notes kind of goes through some of the uh, Insight Partners investments that they've made over the last few years. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the number of times that we have talked about security-related stories on this show alone, and we don't even focus on security... Companies are looking to hedge against the defense that is being offered and not just ransomware either because that's a fool's errand right now. If you're going to invest in companies that are solely focused on ransomware, you are eventually going to lose because that is a game of you know cat and mouse. Once we detect a way to, to stop people, they're going to change the way they do stuff. ExtraHop is doing something a little bit differently. NDR is designed not to detect the actual infection It's designed to detect the behavior that happens after the fact. And I've written about this a lot on gestalt.it.com. Attackers all operate the same way once they gain entry. They move laterally. They do reconnaissance. They look for data to steal and they try to exfiltrate it. That doesn't stop. That's what ExtraHop is focused on. So that means that this is a company that you're going to want to buy into and hold on because they're going to find the bad guys no matter how they're getting in the door because once they get in, they're going to do the same stuff. So I think that this is a good move for ExtraHop because if a company wants to buy you and hold on to you, it removes that public scrutiny and that quarter by quarter thinking that most public companies have to deal with. Or worse yet, you aren't trying to appeal to the 800 uh, companies that have given you funding. So I think that this is gonna give them an opportunity to tool up, to expand their reach in the market and ultimately to kind of spread their wings a little bit. And maybe that makes them a bigger player Fingers crossed that it does, but, you know, only time will tell. And, you know, Bain, Crosspoint, I know this is your first big investment in cybersecurity space, at least for Crosspoint. Please don't do the thing where you buy and sell and buy and sell and like trade things around really quickly. Buy these companies and hold on to them and give them the runway that they need to show you how valuable they really are. All right, Stephen, one more story that came up yesterday, Uh, it was not a good Tuesday for the folks at Southwest Airlines, because according to reports from the FAA, a computer glitch caused them to have to have a ground stop nationwide. 1300 flights were delayed, almost 500 flights had to be canceled or completely rescheduled in an outage that lasted 45 minutes. This was the second time that they had to stop planes in less than 24 hours because of a technology related glitch because the texas carrier reported that late monday night that one of their third party weather data providers had a transmission error and it prevented them from receiving the weather safety data that they need to be able to fly planes so yeah let's just say that it was not a good start to the week for the folks from southwest airlines now here's the issue that i'm worried about We're just now coming out of the pandemic-induced travel restrictions. I mean, we're starting to see planes getting back in the air that are mostly fully loaded. Uh, Airlines are offering deeply discounted fares to get folks to want to travel again now that vaccinations are up in the U.S. But those computer systems haven't been operating at full capacity for over a year, Stephen. Should they expect a little bit of rust in those systems that they need to be cleaning out?
1: yeah i i imagine that uh, there will be a little bit of uh, sort of restart issues with a lot of this stuff and um frankly though uh, southwest is one of the airlines that has been pretty much rocking and rolling all the way through the pandemic uh, they've uh, the unique nature of their fleet and their schedules means that they've been able to continue operating even as uh, some of their competitors have drastically cut back on service um the uh story here though well frankly the first thing i thought when i saw this was ransomware i'm glad it wasn't but let's just say that uh i think the real story here is the fact that uh infrastructure american infrastructure is incredibly reliant on computing systems that are in many cases old and kind of decrepit and uh (laughs) running down and um frankly uh this is just like the pipeline incident another example of our uh reliance on systems that really aren't reliable uh, or at least uh, systems that have um, maybe they are reliable that they have uh, areas that they can be exploited and and or areas that can uh, can fail and and I'm really concerned that this is going to be something that's going to happen um, you know let's say we get into a, a bit of a cyber tit-for-tat with one of the nation states out there that's doing the ransomware and malware and hacking and so on um, You think they wouldn't take down Southwest or United or American or Delta as a part of their campaign? Yeah, they would. And you think they couldn't? Oh, they could. And I think that that, things like this, uh, you know, it makes me immediately jump to the world of malware, and um, that's pretty scary for me. And uh, I imagine it's probably scary for a lot of us.
0: Yeah, I was very happy to see that this was not yet another ransomware story and that it was just a good old fashioned computer glitch. All right, so we got a couple stories we wanted to take a closer look at um some interesting things going on and one of them has to do again with cpus but one of the scary things that we've been talking about for so many years that would be specter and meltdown and those are still problems even in 2021 because those side channel attacks showed that cash pipeline performance gains are suddenly a huge risk to attackers um, you can read into those caches and steal data at a hardware level and nobody will ever know that you've pulled anything out of it. And worse yet, we really don't even have a way to prevent it yet other than turning off the speculative execution that causes them to be exploitable, which then tanks all of the CPU performance that we've gained over the last several years. However, researchers at the University of Rochester Computer Science Department think that they found a solution. <clears throat> they created something called time cache and it's a method that defends against attackers by delaying cache access to the processes which request it, which sounds weird that by delaying things, you're actually protecting against an attack. But what happens is by delaying that first access, you are preventing every other process on the system from knowing which processes have requested access to the cache. Time cache knows what's going on. And so it can see all of his requests and everything in the pipeline. It means that malware can't sit on a particularly juicy process like a decryption system and look for data to pull out of the cache and then basically get free access to it. So it works, but that doesn't mean that there's not a catch. In this case, the catch is, is that time cache requires hardware modifications, including additional CPU registers, which is super difficult to build into a CPU that's already been produced. So with it not being a software only solution, it could be that it's completely impractical and may even be limited to the latest generations of CPUs that may just happen to have an extra register or two floating around that can be used for this process. Now, Steven, Lord knows we've been talking about Spectre and Meltdown for a long, long time, and we really wanna have a solution to this that doesn't require us to completely disable all those performance gains that we've gotten. But is time cash really a fix that's going to ca- solve this problem? Or is it really just kind of addressed it, taking care of a little aspect of it, and we're still going to have to deal with these little ghosts floating around for a long time to come?
1: Well, if there's one thing that we've learned, it's that uh, speculative ec- execution attacks are the gift that just keeps on giving in terms of exploits. And, um, you know, this is one of those things, specter and meltdown uh, and related attacks, are one of those things that just keeps coming every time we just keep hearing more. And um, this is really an interesting and clever solution to the problem. So first, let me just make sure that we're all kind of understanding what's going on here. So um, if I may take a moment to to build a metaphor, Uh, imagine uh, a big city library where uh, people come to the front desk and they ask for a book. You know, I want the Diary of Anne Frank. I want uh, Catch-22. I want Fahrenheit 451. The librarian then goes back and finds it, brings it up to the counter, and uh, and and gives you the book. Um, and then you return it. And instead of bringing it all the way back to the stacks, they just put it in the in a, in one of the cubbies in front of their uh, in front of their station. Next person that comes in says, "I want Fahrenheit 451." Oh, it's right here. Here you go. That's basically a speculative execution attack. Essentially, that customer then knows, oh, somebody's been reading these banned books. I wonder if they've been reading Catcher in the Rye. And so they say, hey, do you have Catcher in the Rye in library? Oh, yeah, here it is right here. Aha, somebody's been reading these naughty, naughty books. So I have learned now something about what else is going on in this library, in this bad city. Well, that's sort of a speculative execution attack. And the problem with a lot of the supposed fixes is the supposed fixes just mean the librarians can't put the book back in their little cubby. They have to bring it all the way back to the stacks and go get it again next time. Now, obviously we're talking about data and not physical objects, and we're talking about multiple people using it, but but, but bear with me. So uh, this one is really clever because essentially what it's doing is it's uh, adding a little punch to your library card that says, um, I would like to a copy of, uh, you know, Animal Farm. And, 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 and they look at the little punch, and the little punch says, oh, yeah, Tom's allowed to get what's in Cubby 12. And they're like, okay, here it is. It's right here, Tom. No problem. You can have it again. Uh, whereas I come in, a Mr. Bad Guy, and I say, I want Animal Farm too. And they look at my library card. doesn't have the, 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 the number 12 punch. So they say, oh, well, I don't know where it is. I'm gonna have to go back to Stacks and get it for you. In other words, they're adding in a, uh, a delay for me so that I can't tell that Tom's been reading the book. This will work. This is actually a clever idea. Um, should work fine. The only problem is you gotta have those library cards with those punches on them. And chips don't. And I don't think it's even as easy as implementing it using alternative... Hardware, You know, yeah, maybe you can use a register for this purpose. A lot of chips are already using all their registers. Uh, I think we're going to need a next generation chip to do this. But if you can do it, please, please let's do it. Because let me tell you, the fixes, ha- the, 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 the cures have been worse than the, sip- than the sickness in many cases when it comes to Spectre and Meltdown. Those of us who have uh, firewall disconnected private systems, have been infuriated by the fact that these spectrum meltdown fixes have slowed our computers noticeably. And we would love to be able to get back to the point where we can do speculative execution again, because that's one of the primary ways that computers are accelerating. I mean, if you think about our library metaphor, it's a pretty good way to imagine how computers are accelerated. And and without that, that really, really harms performance for everyone. And frankly, uh, here's another dirty secret. Uh, Most of these attacks have not been widely exploited that we know of. Theoretically, uh, nation states or uh, really malicious, clever people could be exploiting them. But frankly, we don't know that. And we really haven't seen that as much as we've seen so many other cybersecurity problems like malware and ransomware and, uh, you know, even um, sort of edge Issues like you know, oh, somebody's been you know activating my webcam and watching me while I type or something like that. That's more common than exploits of Spectre and Meltdown, at least as far as we know. Uh, and yet we're slowing down every computer on the planet to, to to fix this thing when a lot of these other things are going unfixed. So, frankly, I love this. I love this approach. Thank you. Let's do this. Let's get beyond these cache attacks. But of course, I also kind of worry that maybe they'll figure out another way to do a cash attack if this one doesn't work. I don't know. What do you think, Tom?
0: Well, I mean, the time to do it is now because you're getting on the board for the architectures. Quite honestly, they're going to not be the one next chip's released, but the ones right after that. And I do like this idea of, you know, basically temporarily pausing things, almost like multitasking the cache, to allow for what you said in your excellent metaphor with the library cards. Um, Animal Farm is a great book, by the way. But the other problem that we're going to run into is just like every other fix that we've gotten for Spectre or Meltdown recently, they just completely invalidated as soon as possible because they're just tweaking the formula a little bit. They're massaging that cache a little bit more to to pull data out of it in a different way. What was The the one that Intel uh, released was a couple of months ago where it was like reading the voltages in the chips to figure out what data was passing through it or at least trying to infer it. And yeah, these are highly technical attacks. And I think that that may be the one thing that has saved us right now is that it is not easily exploitable today unless you have the resources of a giant intelligence apparatus or some whiz kid Russian hackers that are working for you. And that has given people lead time. But like you said, I feel like we've squandered that lead time because we have been so focused on the value of ripping the Band-Aid off and completely cratering all of our performance versus trying to find a novel and unique way that allows us to be implementing it in software so that we don't have to do that without doing major chip rearchitecture. And nothing has worked so far. It's like, you know, we keep proposing these solutions and they keep getting batted away because they don't really address the problem, because we really don't want to go full band-aid ripping. So this is great. It's easy enough. And I say that from a technical complexity standpoint of it's not re-architecting your processor, but it needs to be pushed in now. It needs to be proven and AMD and Intel need to lead the way and get it done. I don't know if Spectre and Meltdown are affected in ARM and uh, Apple Silicon, if not great, but ultimately the problem is gonna be that this has to be put on the roadmap and integrated. And of course, I'm sure the University of Rochester is gonna want a little bit of money for it. So license it and get it done because we've got to stop focusing on the Band-Aid and we've got to start focusing on getting our data protected because if and when this is proven to be easily exploitable with a toolkit or something like that, what will happen is that a lot of our data is going to be immediately vulnerable with no way to fix it short of complete rip and replace of all of the processors that are out there. And if you thought that your operations team's budget was scant to begin with, it's going to be downright minuscule when you have to tear everything out and replace it because of a massive security hole you can't patch. So let's, let's make this happen. Yeah. Well, to be clear, Tom, I do
1: believe that uh, similar attacks are found in ARM processors as well as in x86 processors. So uh, certainly that would be something that would affect Apple Silicon. And also let me just point out too that one of the reasons for the phenomenal performance of Apple's M1 chip is that it is uh, heavily exploiting uh, parallelism and uh, speculative execution, and uh, that uh, you know that means that they may be even more susceptible to these attacks than traditional x86 processors. We'll see. Um, that being said, I do I'm excited about this. I'd love to see what where it goes. Um, so, Tom, uh, can I have your Netflix password? Um, The US Supreme Court has overturned the verdict in Van Buren versus the United States. Uh, This court case saw a police officer in Georgia illegally accessing DMV data under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act or CFAA. The case was a major one because it could set the stage for what was uh, proper access looks like in legal terms. A very liberal application of the law could see any shared login information falling under the auspices of the CFAA and making us all criminals. Uh, the majority opinion from Justice Barrett said the language of exceeds authorized access was overly broad and improperly applied to the case. But there are several new ways to interpret the ruling of what authorized access implies. Um, Tom, is this a win for regular people? Is this a blow against regular people? Is this a win for privacy? Or I don't quite get this. What do you think? Is narrowing this 40-year-old law a good idea? Uh,
0: ultimately keeping laws from being way too broadly implemented is a good thing. And and yes, the CFA is 40 years old. It was written in response to War Games, the movie. Go look it up. It it was uh, passed in, was it 83 or 84? I think it was 84. Um, This is one of the laws that has been used. Basically, it's like the interstate commerce clause of the constitution. It is used to allow the federal government to intervene in just about any case that involves computers that cross the state lines. And if you look in the excellent article that we're going to link from Catalan Campano, um, the, the short, short version is, is that a Georgia police officer accessed DMV data that he wasn't supposed to access at the time, even though he was authorized to access the DMV database. And that's what everything hinged on in this case. The police officer was arguing that in the, in the definition of his job, he's allowed to access DMV data. It's just that he didn't have a reason to look up that particular data. And it was kind of crummy what he did. He was looking up data on a a lady for another police, an undercover police officer. So it was a little squirrely anyway. But this is where all of the new definition comes from. So basically what Justice Barrett's majority opinion, which by the way, was signed on to by every member of the court who was under the age of like 75. So everybody who knows that a computer is not a person that operates a machine that does computations if your job says that you are allowed to authorize have authorized access to data, you are not violating the CFAA when you access that data. So going back to the opening of the story, if I authorize you to use my Netflix password, you are technically not violating the CFAA, even though Netflix's terms of service say that I'm not supposed to share my password because I have authorized you to be somebody who's on my account. So that means that it cuts out a lot of those things where, you know, like um, I can remember stories of people who worked at large television providers looking up account data that they weren't supposed to be looking up because there's like a block on it or there's a rule that says that you can only access something or other. This prevents it from being a federal crime with federal rules and federal prisons. However, this does not invalidate people who like, for example, get fired from their job and use their login a month or two later to go in and uh, i don't know like delete 84 vms running webex a story we covered on the uh, the rundown several months ago because they are no longer authorized to access that data that also means that a lot of companies are going to have to come back out here and they're going to have to narrowly define what authorized access means because that's the word that all of this case hinged on what constitutes authorized access So I think role-based access controls are gonna get a huge boost because now you're gonna have to have a very clearly defined role that allows you to access certain things. So for example, regular workers will be able to access data in the database, but they're only authorized to access data for the case or the client that they're currently working on. Supervisors have authorized access for all data in the database, but only when directly related to a request from another agent. Do you see how we're redefining the roles to prevent people from just being able to scrape the whole database and say, well, I wanna see everybody who has, I don't know, watched Black Widow. Well, that's a pretty broad scope and that's what the Supreme Court has done has been to narrow everything. So I think that this is a win overall because it is helping us take a very big shillelagh and turn it into a tiny little rock hammer that can be applied in very specific cases. It also means that companies are not going to be able to use the CFAA as a a cudgel to force employees to behave in a certain way by saying, well, all we have to do is say that you're doing unauthorized access and now we can sue you in federal court. But it also means that some of these scummier applications, like in the case of the Georgia law, or the Georgia case where the guy was doing it, kind of basically to get a date for an undercover police officer, you're going to have to be very, very strict about how those are handled.
1: Yeah, I, I am not sympathetic with Officer Van Buren whatsoever. And we had a similar case here in Northeast Ohio where uh, there was a whole series of uh, retribution and you know judge asking a officer to look up information about a ex girlfriend, et cetera. Um, all that stuff should be illegal, but it shouldn't be illegal under this Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. It should be illegal under some other more specific regulation. Uh, I'm gonna turn to, uh, and point out to the amicus brief that the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, by the way, Tom, can I have a new role? Every time I mention the EFF, can we just cheer? So uh, let's, let's do this again, okay? I'm gonna point to an amicus brief that the EFF, Electronic Frontiers Foundation uh, issued. Yeah that uh, suggests that this ruling is important for them too, because essentially the CFAA had been used to uh, block unauthorized accesses like reverse engineering, defunct video game systems and archiving internet data that has been deleted and you know things that are certainly in the public good. Um, and that's not good either. So yeah, I think that the CFAA was probably overbroad. And I think that uh, now we need to have more specific rules about what does and doesn't con- constitute unauthorized access for specific people. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, imagine if you said that, like, you know, nobody could open a door, um, you know, without authorization. You know, I mean, suddenly all the hotel maids would be running uh, the risk of committing a federal crime when they clean rooms or something, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like that. You know, we don't want that. What we want is a more specific rule that says, okay, you know, you shouldn't open up the room that doesn't belong to you or unless you're doing it for a specific reason, you know, oh, you're maintaining the air conditioning, then you can get in there. We need these kind of exceptions and this Supreme Court ruling seems to give us those exceptions and I think that's probably pretty good. So I think that's, that's all right. Um, uh, let's try this once again. Uh, EFF, Yay! okay, there we go. Um, I, I like this rule. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately that anything that narrowly defines things is going to be better in the long run, especially when we're dealing with laws that are, well, at this point, old enough to retire or at least, you know, get a nice payout from Silicon Valley. All right, well, that will just about do it for this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can see us every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time on our website at gestaltit.com, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash video. Um, You can also find us on your podcast application of choice by searching for the Gestalt IT Rundown where you can listen to the dulcet tones of our voices as you go on your run or maybe to your commute back to your office full of brand new Wi-Fi equipment. Um, Stephen, you are a very busy man. You've got some great things coming up. Why don't you tell people where they can find you in the coming weeks well absolutely
1: next week uh, the big thing that i'm looking forward to is cloud field day so wednesday the 23rd through friday the 25th starting at 8 a.m pacific time we're going to be live streaming at techfieldday.com we've got a bunch of great cloud companies presenting a bunch of great cloud stuff including some companies that we have hinted at and discussed here on the rundown in the last couple of weeks so you'll see Hazelcast. Uh, Morpheus, Nginx, Certo, Plyops, Kasten, Intel, and more at Cloud Field Day. And uh, we would love to have you tune in for that event. Uh, Also, of course, you can catch me every Tuesday on the Utilizing AI podcast. Uh, You can catch Tom or me on the uh, on-premise IT roundtable uh, on Tuesdays as well. And, of course, here on the rundown. And I'm going to go buy some new Wi-Fi equipment and install it here at the office so that we can welcome everybody back. And of course, I'm going to be donating to the EFF.
0: Hey! Okay, there we go. Yeah, and if you want to learn a little bit more about the Wi-Fi equipment that Stephen will be purchasing, because there's a lot of great new technology out there, then you're going to want to tune in for Mobility Field Day that I'm going to be taking part in in July, because I'm sure that we're going to be talking about Wi-Fi 6E quite a bit. Uh, We got a sneak peek at that at Networking Field Day. uh, just this last month, uh, thanks to the folks at Aruba. In fact, you can go to our website at uh, techfieldday.com and click on the link for Networking Field Day and check out the video where Chuck Lukaszewski talks about some of the advantages that six gigahertz can offer. Give you a hint, it's not very congested right now. So now's the time to get in, but you are going to need new equipment to get there. Uh, But we have a lot of great content coming up, both in cloud, in mobility, and networking and storage, and all the great areas that Tech Field Day covers. We're going to be having a lot of great coverage of that on our website at gestaltit.com, where you can go to read about the latest tech news, some of the briefings that we've been involved in, and quite honestly, some of our favorite posts from the week. Um, But We will be back next Wednesday, 1230 Eastern time with more news of the week that you really want to listen to us snark on. So until next week for Tom Hollingsworth, Stephen Foskett, our great folks here at Gestalt IT and for the rest of our amazing community. Thank you very much for tuning in and we can't wait to talk to you next Wednesday.